Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened, your tray table is in an upright and locked position, and that you are ready to get weird and think different. Please prepare for takeoff. is Wednesday. It is January 6th, and we're back with another episode of Destination Different. It's a new year, baby. It's a new year. As most as most people do at the start of the year, you know, I, I don't necessarily have resolutions for 2021, but I do have some goals that I've laid out for the podcast. And in the effort of bringing you into my world Really just in the selfish hopes that it makes you love me more and listen to the podcast more. I'm going to tell you about my goals for the new year. So I'm sitting in my room. I'm looking at my whiteboard. I've scribbled a bunch of things down. But I think I've narrowed to six goals for Destination Different in 2021. If I'm being honest, six feels kind of like a lot. That's I might have to cut that down. But for now... Six goals for the podcast in 2021 to make it better, to make it bigger, to keep this thing and this train going upwards. So I'm going to share them with you. I'm going to rattle them off. Number one, this is probably the biggest goal. I think this is the North Star. This is what is driving my thinking. This is what everything else falls underneath for the new year. In 2020, Really, since the podcast started in like October of 2019, Destination Different has almost exactly 3,500 listens, 3,500 listens. My goal is that by the end of 2021, on December 31st, 2021, the podcast has 10,000 total listens, downloads, whatever you call them. I don't entirely understand the podcast analytics. 10,000 downloads on December 31st, 2021. It's a lot. That's lofty. That is, if my math is correct, basically doubling what I've done in the last year and change. Do I think it can be done? Yes. But it is, it is pushing the envelope, and that nice round 10K number is something that I would love to get to by the end of this year. So that's number one. Number two, which I think kind of feeds number one, I'd like to drop 50 interviews. 550 interviews in 2021. I tallied them up from last year. It's actually more than I expected. I thought I skipped more weeks than I did, or I did more solo episodes than I did. I interviewed 42 people on Destination Different in 2020. That's a shit ton. And I think that we can bring that number up even more in the new year. I would love nothing more than to just be super duper consistent every week, new episode, new interview, like clockwork, set your calendars, Wednesday morning, this thing's coming into your podcast stream. 50 interviews. That would basically be take a week off for Christmas or 4th of July or something, but new interview every week for the duration. I think we can do it. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a challenge. That's goal number two. Goal number three. Again, this is fueling the listenership. This is the distribution piece that I don't spend nearly enough time on. 
I think in the past I've been like 80% goes into like the interview, the editing, the cutting it all together. And then I just kind of like farted out there and nobody listens to it. So my goal, goal number three is 250 followers on Instagram by the end of the year. Right now we're like a shade under 100. That's not crazy. I think that can be done. Goal number two or part number two of that is 1,000 on TikTok. Right now I have zero on TikTok. So that's going to be a tough one. But I think it would be just there's so much growth out of TikTok. It would just be asinine not to hop onto TikTok. I don't know what I'm going to do there yet. It might be posting clips from the episode. It might be doing little skits. It might be – I don't know. I don't know exactly what that's going to be yet. But I have to distribute the podcast more than I'm currently doing. So those goals, those numbers will help me get there. Goal number four, again, this is getting people to come back to my show. Appear on five other people's podcasts. From what I'm told, going on other people's shows, it's kind of like a circle jerk. You go on somebody's show, they plug your show, you know, then it, everybody from their show comes and listens to your show. That's what I'm hoping. I'd like to appear on five people's podcasts in 2020. I don't know who is going to want to have me come on their show to talk about God knows what, but if you know anybody who is looking for guests on their podcasts, I will happily make myself available. So that is goal number four, appear on five people's podcasts in 2021. Number five, goal number five, this is a simple one. The podcast needs a website. It needs a home on the internet somewhere where people can find the episodes, people can maybe learn a tiny, tiny bit about me, where if you search something in Google, this comes up. Like It just seems like a basic thing, but if somebody searches for Destination Different, I want them to be able to land on an experience that I control. So simple one, but it needs to happen this year. And lastly, goal number six. This is kind of the bow on this whole thing. Again, I don't know how I'm going to do this yet, but my goal is to make $100 from the podcast in 2021. Not one, not 10,000. One, I'm like, I could get anybody to Venmo me a dollar. $100 is like substantial-ish. I don't know how I'm going to do that. It could be piece of merch. It could be advertising. It could be subscribers. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll start an OnlyFans. I don't know how that's going to happen yet, but that is a goal that I would like to put something out and see some sort of monetary value come back. It does not need to be a lot. That's why I'm setting it $100. $100 in the grand scheme is peanuts, but I think it would be good for me to learn how to make money from creating something. So that's goal number six. That's the rundown. I'll post these on Instagram at Destination Different. You should be following. That's goal number two. Uh, And if you have any thoughts on any of these goals, please let me know. But I wanted to lay those out. It was more so good for my own thinking to, to write these down, but I think it'll keep me accountable now that I've announced them in episode one of the new year. And that is a beautiful way to transition us into our guest for this week who like there's there's no better way that we could start this year there is absolutely no better guest to start 2021 than the guest on this week's show we have 
Olympian, ex-gamer, entrepreneur, a New Hampshire guy like me, Scotty Lego. This is a fantastic interview. I'm, I'm not going to give too much away because I really just want to get right into this interview and I've already babbled on for way too long. But what a, what a, just, what a treat getting a chance to talk to him. We talked Olympics. We talked getting kicked out of the Olympics. We talked him dropping out of school at, in like eighth grade to go and pursue professional snowboarding. We talked about him now kind of pivoting into the second phase of his career where Scotty's really become super entrepreneurial and has started his own snowboard brand. And like, I think he's just in the tip, tip, tip of the iceberg in terms of like growing his business side of his brand. Um, so this is an unbelievable interview to kick off the year. I am super excited for you guys to listen to it. And with that, I will shut up because this is a good one. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Scotty Lego, snowboarder, Olympian, the man. Actually, my first question for a guy who's been to the Olympics, been to the X Games, started his own snowboard company is, how did you get into bow hunting? Uh, I grew up, well, it's funny. I grew up bow hunting and I've always, uh, I've always loved it, but I just started getting really into the last really six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I shot my first deer um, when I was 10 with my bow and arrow. And uh, it's something that my dad did and uh, my grandfather did. And I was raised kind of as a, as a hunter and, um, yeah, it's just, it's such a challenge and it's so, it's so great to be out in the outdoors. And I mean, I love scouting in the woods just as much as I do hunting, you know, Mm -hmm. it's about being outside and learning about the animals and it's always, always changing. Um, and it's very challenging. So, um, and is that something that you've, you know, you've gotten into over the last few years as you've like quote unquote, like retired from, from snowboarding, like something that's been, you've picked up now that you have a little bit, maybe more free time on your hands. Yeah. I just, you know, you can take it to whatever level you want, you know, like, you know, if you want to go out and, and, and get a deer or a turkey, you know, just for specifically, you know, meat purposes, you know, you want to go out and, and, you know, get your own, get your own meat, you know, don't do any grocery shopping or whatever, or know where it's coming from, you know, that's organic or whatever, you know, um, you know, there's so many just different paths, but, um, I've decided to kind of torture myself and try to, um, target mature, mature bucks mm-hmm. uh, as well as fill my, fill my dough tags, you know, but there's only so much deer you can eat. So I end up donating a lot and giving a lot to my grandfather and stuff like that. And nice. Don't get out and, and hunt. So, okay. So I, I want to hear a little bit. I, I think that as a, as somebody who's been to the Olympics, like my first place I got to start is, is maybe first question is like, is the Olympic village as crazy as like an unbelievable mind blowing experience as it, it, it seems like it's made to be, man. I wish I, I wish I could tell you some great stories, but I, I, I never went, I never went to the uh, Olympic village. Cause when we were there, we, um, us snowboard team got, got a house kind of off campus because, mm-hmm. Pretty much, you know, you want to be in your own zone. You want to be focused, you know, and say you're rooming right next to 
a bobsledder who, you know, won a gold medal, you know, and mm -hmm. you're the next day and this guy's raging next, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, you want to be, have proper sleep and you want to control as much as you can. Um, so we ended up getting a house. We didn't stay in the Olympic village. A lot of people went to the Olympic village after, um, after our event and stayed there and partying and stuff like that. But, um, as, as a lot of people know, my, uh, my story, I ended up getting booted out of the Olympics for a scandalous photo. Uh, <laughs> very scandalous. Yeah. Yeah. Very scandalous. Um, so I never really got to get the whole full experience, which was, you know, which kind of sucks, but mm. at the same time, actually a lot of cool random opportunities kind of came from that. Um, yeah. So know. tell me, so for people who, so people who are listening that, that don't necessarily know this story, we don't have to get all the way into it, but I would say that in the, in the grand scheme of, of photos and scandalous photos, that one was fairly, fairly tame. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen the photo, it's me essentially holding, I, I won a medal. I got a bronze medal, by the way. And so I'm, that, that night after, you know, I've been sober for months going into the Olympics. And that night we were partying. We're at, I think it was a Red Bull party or something like that. And one of the chicks wanted to take photos with, with a medal. But everyone, everyone wanted to take a photo with a medal, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, here you go. You know, she's like, hold on, can I get down on my knees and like, bite the metal like down around your crotch area. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. So someone took a photo of that. And like, I think she was lifting up my, my shirt or something like that. So it's like my, my abs were exposed mm -hmm. and she would bite the metal um, down around my Johnson area. So uh, that didn't really, <laughs> didn't really it didn't fly, fly with the Olympic. So yeah. who like, how are you getting the boot? Like, is it like the Olympic committee like, that's saying like, you got to go? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like I woke up the next morning and like, my agent called me. She's like, Scott, we've got an issue. We're in, we're in some trouble. And I'm like, oh, nothing can get me down. You know, I just won an Olympic right. medal. You know what I mean? It's just like the most. Like best night of your life. Yeah. You know, it really was, you know, I mean, that's a whole other, you know, a whole other story. But so I was, you know, just riding super high. And I'm like, honestly, nothing, nothing can get me down. She's like, this photo came out last night. And I'm just like running through my head. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what? Yeah. Like, what could it be? You know, then I saw the photo and I'm like, oh, what? This is it? All right, cool. You know? Like, Whatever. I've done way worse off camera. Just being so blown out. But a lot of people have my back, you know? Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I was like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel was like, this is like the least scandalous scandal of all scandals, you know, had me on a show. I saw you did like a, a post-closing ceremony with just Jimmy Kimmel or something. Yeah, totally. I had Dr. Phil... Uh, trying super hard to get me on a show, but I'm like, no, screw that. They're going to like rip me apart and like I'll end up crying on the, on the freaking TV, uh, you know, so. Pull, but, pull uh, your brain apart. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, so that's pretty much the gist of it. Okay. So, so going into the Olympics, like tell me kind of what that, what that preparation was like. And, you know, obviously you're competing and, and boarding all the time, but was that ramped up to a whole nother level? Like what did the, I don't know how long, like when do you start preparing? I guess, when do you qualify? And then like, when did you start and how did the preparation go going into the Olympics? Yeah. So, I mean, to, to, to make the U S team was honestly just as hard as the Olympics because you mm -hmm. had such a stacked field of half pipe riders and just, I mean, snowboards overall, slope style, whatever, everyone's really good in the U S 
But um, so you only you only take four riders. So making mm-hmm. a team was essentially my goal. And then from there, I would just, you know, kind of play it however I could. But so I ended up making the team. They did five events, five Grand Prix. And they took your two best results out of the five contests. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting a couple seconds. Sean, won two, Sean White won two of them. Um, and then I ended up getting a third. So that, that put me on on the spot for Olympic Mm -hmm. team. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we just trained, we got the, we got like the closed half pipe after X games, we trained there. Um, and it's like snowboarding. So it changes like literally like month to month, like, Mm -hmm. like one of the best riders who've been dominating can, can fall off because another guy had learned a couple new tricks or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. or injuries happen, you know, injuries are the, are the biggest factor really. But um, yeah, rolled into the into the Olympics, and it was just a lot bigger deal than I thought. I mean, like you think Olympics, you know, huge, but this, I don't know. It was surprising how how big it really was. How much and it was twenty ten because snowboarding hasn't always been a Winter Olympic sport. Like was that was one of the earlier times for the pipe, right? Um, yeah, I think the the snowboarding debuted in two thousand. Okay, oh, no, no, sorry. No, I think maybe Nagano, nineteen ninety. Okay, so it had, it had been there had been a couple snowboard Olympics before. Yeah, yeah, and U.S. has pretty much dominated, um, except for the last like couple. Mm-hmm. And so, do you have like, and you're talking about you know you have a closed half pipe after the X Games? Like, do you have like a personal coach who's helping you? Is there like a U.S. snowboarding coach? Yeah. Is there yeah. like who are you training? Just the other guys? Like, how does that kind of go? Yeah, we're riding with, you know, with the team, whatever, with the four of us and then some other riders too, you know, riders or our friends or whoever push us and stuff like that. We have two coaches, um, you know, so if we're working on a specific trick, you know, we get sled laps, you know, so we would practice our trick or whatever, get a snowmobile lap back up, usually provided by the mountain, you know, mm-hmm. so we get hot lap, hot lap the pipe. Um, we'd have a physician, um, PT. Um, we'd have a cook and then we'd have uh, a board technicians, you know, we'd give them our board at the end of the day. We'd make sure all the edges are perfect. Everything's bolted down, you know, wax the board. I mean, that's, that's a huge deal too. I mean, everything really, really helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes down to that stuff and, um, and getting your body and, um, in mind in the right spot. We also work with, with sports psychologists, um, which was honestly probably the, the biggest benefit that's so underrated, you know, getting your mind right and being prepared mentally as well as physically. Um, I was reading about that. Like, do, what does a, what does a sports psychologist do for you as you're, you're going into an event of that like magnitude? It's, you just want to, you know, me- mentally prepare. So you want to envision yourself there. You want to envision your, your run. You want to envision yourself even after, mm-hmm. you know, you stomped your run, you know, claiming it, going down, hugging your parents, you know, you kind of build up a, a story in your head. Um, you also prepare for, you know, for things that might arise, a broken board at the top of a pipe or something like that. How am I going to react to mm-hmm. that when that happens, you know? Um, and you're really just trying to find that um, mental level where you're living in the moment, which is way easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Um but I can say it's probably 
was probably one of the best performances that I've had um, was at the Olympics, you know, like I really wasn't that nervous, which is a, which is a great thing, you know, mm-hmm. you nervous, you, uh, you end up doing kind of erratic things and, and uh, a lot of people can buckle under the pressure and I kind of rose, rose, you know, my riding with the, with the pressure and mm-hmm. I think that separates a lot of people. I can't say I've ever been great at that. Um, and that's something that, um, I've always worked on and I'm still working on today. Cause that, you know, let's, you can use that skill and anything. Yeah. In anything you really can, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah. And does like, I mean, going into the Olympics, you, you, are you laying out a, you know, a half pipe run is what six, five or six tricks. Like, are you laying out like, okay, this is the exact run I'm going to do. And you get to the Olympic stage. Like, is there any sort of, I think I'm going to try and pull a, you know, 1280 or whatever versus a nine. Like, is there any changing once you kind of get there and you see what guys are doing? Or is it like, this is my run. If I can nail this run, I can do X. Like, how does that go? There are a lot of people just have their run, you know, yeah. do it, whatever. I mean, like there's one dude, Stephen Fisher back in the day who used to do his, his like finals run, like the first run of the day, which was mm-hmm. pretty damn mind blowing. Like, I feel like I'm 70 years old, like crusty. I need to like warm up, you know what I mean? Test yeah. Because the, the half pipe changes dramatically from place to place, let alone day to day, you know, cause mm-hmm. they recut every day. Um, so yeah, you're, you know, I, you're always stay open to mixing up your run depending on what the half pipe is good for too. You know, some, some tricks I might pop a lot on. If it's a really verty wall, then I might need to move down the pipe a little bit. So um, yeah, just stay open and, and be ready to adapt. And is there like, so you, you know, you have your run that you stomp at the, at the Olympics. Like, is there a, a time where you've just been in a, a train, like, is there one run that you can think of either in competition or out, like, just like, you know, screwing around with your buddies. That is like, that was the greatest run I've ever had. Like, do you have a moment like that of I, that was as perfect I've, I've ever snowboarded. Well, the crazy thing is up until that point, I'd done, I've done a lot better runs since the Olympics, but up until that point, that was probably literally my best run that I've ever really, had, which is kind of crazy to think about, you know, um, I had, you know, put it all together in one run. I've done, I've done all those tricks separated, you know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. one years or whatever, but I linked it all and put it all together, um, during, during the finals, you know, that's unreal. And so, to- so you, you win the Olympic bronze, you like, you know, being a New Hampshire guy coming back to the seacoast and like, what did, being an Olympian, just making the team and then like being a medalist, like what did that mean to the, to the New Hampshire community that you're from and, and like, you know, oh, your cool. family and, and all that, like, that's such a crazy accomplishment. Like how did that sort of change your life from, from there on? I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable the support that I had locally, you know, and I was way more fired up on the local support than anything, you know, mm-hmm. I really was, you know, like coming back, Coming back home, you know, there was signs on bridges up 95, you know, all kinds of local restaurants had me on their, on their board, you know, obviously newspaper articles. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had a parade for me, which was, which was awesome and super loose. Um, We were like me and my buddies were essentially just on top of a fire truck, like (laughs) ripping around, like 
going down route one ducking like <laughs> traffic lights and stuff it was just it was awesome yeah and, uh, the, i think that you know the seacoast and and new hampshireites were were really proud of me and it was it was very special it really was and i'm i'm curious too because i feel like there's and I, I don't, I'm not like deep into the world of like super high level snowboarding, but I imagine you probably see, I, I don't, I mean, certainly like the mountains and the skiing is, is more prolific on the West coast. Like, you know, are there other kind of premier like snowboarders that come from the Northeast or is it really like a, is there an East coast, West coast kind of uh, like, what did it mean to be kind of like an East coast guy, you know, winning a medal at the Olympics? Totally. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, without question, the West Coast has a lot better terrain, a lot better features, um, and they just they just have the snowpack, you know, and they're able to extend their season, you know, mm -hmm. three months, four months longer than, than we can, you know. Um, but surprisingly, a ton of great snowboarders come from the East Coast and from the Midwest, you know, mm -hmm. Midwest, little hills and stuff like that. Um, a lot of good riders and skiers come from you know, New Hampshire, Vermont, um, Mass, Maine. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know really what it is. I think because, you know, we have a little bit harsher conditions, you know, we have a little bit of mix of everything. If you get to, if you really know how to ride your board on kind of our shitty conditions, then when you have great conditions, it's it really easy, you know? And then yeah. also you take, you take advantage of those epic days that you find out West, you know, mm -hmm. like this is like, I remember like when I started to go out to California and stuff like that, it's like, what? Like today's beautiful. <laughs> like, and they were probably like, this is shitty. Yeah. And they're like, Oh God, it's freezing. Like, and I'm, I would just like ride all day, mm -hmm. perfect jump conditions and just, and progress. And I think, you know, when East coasters make that transition, you know, and they start having those good opportunities, they take full advantage of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, from what I understand, you grew up basically like your first mountain was, I don't know if this is the one that it's the same one that I'm thinking of, but it was in Amesbury. Like, is it the, the little like ski, ski, ski and snow, like tubing park? Is that the, is that the one that you was kind of your first, like your first mountain? Yeah. Yeah. Amesbury sports park is where, um, they used to have a little snowboard park. If you're looking, mm -hmm. it's a tubing hill, right. For anyone yeah. who doesn't know what it is. The tubing hill, you look off to the left side, it's actually like a full-grown forest now, which kind of dates how long I've been <laughs> snowboarding for. But that used to be a snowboard park. And I used to lap that just on a little T-bar. And um, I got a little season's pass there and, and was hanging out with a bunch of dudes who were, who were um, way older than me. And mm -hmm. I fell in love with snowboarding and the culture. And that's where I met um, uh, a good long – long-term friend and my manager for a while, Scott Millette, who kind of took me under his wing mm -hmm. um, and kind of showed me the ropes of snowboarding and, and brought me to a bunch of events and, and um, yeah. From there. So you start, like you started obviously from such a young age, but you were, became a perfect, you know, a professional snowboarder, very, very young and like, stop going to, you know, stop going to school or you're homeschooling for a while. Yeah. Um, so like, what was that experience like of being a, you know, 13, 14 year old and being like a, you know, being a professional snowboarder? Right. Yeah. I think I turned, I mean, like it's so gray with snowboarding, you know, it's like, yeah. Of what's pro and what's not. Yeah. And it's the same for skateboarding. I guess skateboarding is like when you get your pro model, you're considered a pro, mm -hmm. but, um, snowboarding's pretty gray. Um, 
it's like, all right, yeah, dude, I got some free snowboard boots. I guess I'm pro. But uh, <laughs> um, so I think I'm like was really, really pro at like 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, uh, I, I actually, what was the question? <laughs> I guess like, you know, you, you decide to you decide to drop out of school, really. Like, what was that decision like with your family and, you know, being a 16-year-old kid who's you know, yeah, sort of totally. living this lifestyle that's very different from other kids your age? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, we really looked at academies and stuff when I was younger, but um, A, they were super expensive. You know, we looked up at, you know, a lot of Vermont academies and New Hampshire academies, like where snowboard ski academies, you know, where you would snowboard most of the day and then do mm-hmm. your school stuff like that but I was kind of homebody didn't really want to leave home and also super expensive so um I was still in middle school and I was just missing so much school I'd be going mm-hmm. on to contests and stuff and and in my mind I was just like I want to be a professional snowboarder like and there's just no no backup plan no plan mm-hmm. B. um and I was so dead set on it and I, I was showing a lot of promise you know um so my parents were like all right yeah go to this contest or whatever you know so I was like end up I was like traveling by myself and like living with friends out West at like 15, like 12, wow. 14, 15, 16, you know? Um, but uh, it was kind of easy. You know, I was honestly missing so much school. I was like, all right, I need to, you know, I need to get homeschooled. So I did mm-hmm. freshman year homeschooling. And then um, actually I didn't even finish my freshman year homeschooling. Um, and I was like, I asked my dad, my mom was like, Hey, like, can I, take a break from homeschooling and concentrate more on snowboarding. And somehow I convinced them. You're a great salesman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Somehow I convinced them. They believed in me enough where I put the homeschooling on the side and actually never went back. So I have a, uh, don't have my high school diploma. <laughs> Amazing. And, uh, and was it like, were you grow? were you just like a naturally gifted kid that you're at like, you know, 12, 13, and you're just like that much better? Or was it because you're just like logging a million hours in the park or whatever it might be? Um, combo. It was a combo. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, you don't, snowboarding is just like a skill that you, that you have to acquire over time. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think you could be the best at snowboarding in, you know, under, under five years you yeah. know, or whatever, you know, like I, I would imagine like in football, for example, like if you have like the physical capabilities, you know, and then obviously some talent, mm-hmm. um, willpower, drive, motivation, um, stamina, you know, then you have a good, good shot at making the big, big leagues. Um, with snowboarding, it's, it's just all skill that you have to acquire over time and, and more finesse than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe one other thing that I think is, it's certainly a unique thing to snowboarders and kind of like, you know, action sport athletes, but like, how did the you know, element of like fear come into play and you're sending yourself off of 20, 25 foot half pipes, another 20 feet in the air. Like that is something that you probably can't necessarily teach. Like how do you over time build up those reps so that you're like, I'm going to go throw myself upside down 40 feet in the air and come and spot the landing. Like how, how do you start to develop that sense? Or is that something that's just innate to you? Or snowboarders just fucking crazy. No, not at all. I mean, yeah, we are a little bit loose, but uh, it's just baby steps. You know what I mean? It's like you start with literally a 180 180, Mm -hmm. and you learn all four 
four one A's and you move to the 360 and then eventually all those tricks become second nature, you know, and then you're at the level of doing, you know, whatever 720s and then you just really progress with so 720s. You can do blindfolded, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. all four ways, switch front side, you know, switch back side, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, it's just all baby steps and progression, but no doubt about it. I mean, in order to progress, you have to be running that line um, with, you know, with pushing yourself enough, but also staying safe, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you're not pushing yourself, you're, you're just going to kind of flat line and really not make any progress, but um, you got to also stay healthy, you know, to, to ride, <laughs> ride another day. <laughs> and how have like injuries been a big, I mean, been a big part of your career? Like, have you had to deal with a bunch of, yeah. bunch of injuries over the, over your, you know, now probably 10 plus year snowboarding career? Yeah, I've had to deal with a lot of injuries, um, broken over 30 bones. Um, no, no super serious injuries, broke my jaw, my sternum, my neck. I saw you did one, you did some competition. It was X games with your jaw wired shut or something. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I ended up doing X games. I broke my jaw like the week before in the backcountry snowboarding and and X Games is like a pretty big deal, you know. It's like honestly, if you do well at X Games in the sponsor's eyes, then you can like chill for the rest of the year, you know, mm-hmm. like that big of a deal. So I was like, all right, I can't miss X Games, you know. Um, so I ended up actually getting a silver medal at X Games um, that week. But um, yeah, I mean, I think injuries obviously come with snowboarding, come with come with a lot of sports, but it's it's how you deal with injuries a lot of people like sulk and like just use that time to chill or like video game you know but like mm-hmm. i have to use the time off and i had a lot of time off because i broke a lot of bones get injured a lot but i'd use that time to re-motivate refocus and and kind of take a look at my career and be like all right like how do i improve on it you know what do i want to do what how do i get better and then a lot of times you'll take that time off and be like well i was kind of like going in this direction that wasn't really aligning with my main term goal you know mm-hmm. and you use that time to almost like refocus or reshift your attention on 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 getting to where you want to go mm-hmm. um so believe it or not I, injuries were a, were a good thing for me i mean kind of sounds funny but you know it was good good time to kind of realign hit the hit the reset button yeah it's interesting i mean I, i'm 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 curious for you as well, like, you know, what are those, you've been in the sport for so long now, like what do the, how do those goals sort of change over time? You mentioned it was kind of like a good chance to, to reset and, and sort of realign on like what you wanted to accomplish. Like obviously when you're 15, it's like, I just want to be a pro. I want to go win medals. I want to do this. And then like, as that shifts and you win and you, you know, you pick up sponsors, like how do those goals, how have they started to change? And now that you're kind of like, you know, one foot in, one foot out of the sport, like how to, how have your goals sort of shifted now? Right. I mean, I think like, you know, I could break it down like three parts, maybe like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I just want to be a professional snowboarder. You know what I mean? Then I was like, you know, maybe I want to be one of the best professional snowboarders, you know, out there, you know, in the top, mm-hmm. top five or whatever. And like my motivations were always different too. It's like, oh, I want to be a professional snowboarder. Like, to make money and get girls and <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know, and it's like, it eventually turned out to just like, honestly, a, a lot has to do with my peers in snowboarding. Like I wanted the respect of like 
the guys that I admire, mm-hmm. like my heroes, the dudes that I watch up. It's like, if I have their respect and like, I was like one of their favorite snowboards or I did a trick, like one of the, you know, one of their favorite ways, that's what would motivate me. And that would, mm-hmm. that would really stoke me out. And then eventually it came down to like, all right, I really want to have like almost a legacy in snowboarding. I want to be considered, you know, maybe not a legend, but at least eligible for a legend. Yeah. <laughs> One day, you know what I mean? Um, so it, it just all changes and, and it's easy when you, when you love it, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not work. It's not, I mean, it is, don't get me wrong. You know, I actually never liked competing. Um, really? Yeah. No, I never really liked it. I mean, I loved filming. I loved filming, making snowboard, snowboard movies and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it was just, um, it was just a little bit more beneficial to compete. And it also made you way better at snowboarding. Like if you're competing, like you're on the grind, you're always trying to get better. Um, you have to push yourself in, in shitty conditions, you know, um, and you always have to be progressing to, to stay, you know, to stay at the best. And filming, you can kind of like, uh, actually, I'm not really feeling this right now, you know, like yeah. we'll get the shot tomorrow or whatever. It's a little easier to kind of, you know, skip by. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, like, tell me a little bit about the, like, there's, there's such a business element to snowboarding too. And, and for you, for a guy that's like, you know, saying he doesn't, didn't love competing, you more love like the lifestyle of it. How did you, you know, make a living off of snowboarding? It's not like a, a baseball or an NBA where it's like, these are signing, you know, multi-year, multi-million dollar deals. Like what does the kind of, what is the business? What does the money look like in, in well, snowboarding? I mean, it is and it isn't though. We, we, that is how we make our money. So we, we have multi-year contracts and stuff like that. Sometimes it's a year or whatever. And it's all with different sponsors, you know, for example, like Mountain Dew, I wrote for Mountain Dew, I wrote for Nike, mm-hmm. um, you know, wrote for Smith Optics, um, wrote for a bunch of different companies throughout the year. And that's, that's how you make your money through okay. endorsements. Um, unless you're really good like a handful of people who actually can make serious cash competing. Um, mm-hmm. That was always just a bonus for me. It was never really a motivation. Like, Oh wow. It's 50 grand first, first prize, you know, yeah. it's like, cool. You know? Um, but yeah. But yeah, most of the money is like endorsed, like longer term endorsement pieces. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so, you know, now at, at a certain point, it seems like you sort of shifted to wanting to start your own business within the snowboarding world. So you, you started Lago snowboards. Like when did that, you know, you're now, I think probably over five years in on that, on that business. Was it like a thing where you said, you know, I'm not loving the boards that are out there, or I think there's like an opportunity to, to make some money here selling boards at a, at a great, like, it seems like your thing is like they're really high quality boards, but you sell them direct. So it's, you know, they're cheaper than a lot of the other kind of big names out there. Like what, what was that decision to start that business? Well, originally it just started, I just wanted to start my own company. I thought it'd be awesome to like make a product and, and I like the business side of things, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's fun and, and, uh, had a good platform for it. So it should have been relatively easy, but that's obviously never the case in business. Yeah. Um, so my motivation to start was just to have my own company, you know, like I watched, you know, Peter line, uh, startup forum which was like my favorite company back in the day and had this epic team called the forum eight. They were like the eight best snowboarders um, on planet earth, you mm-hmm. know, and I was just like, Dude, that is so cool. I would love to have my own board company one day and have like a team of like the best snowboarders 
So I'm currently working on that right now. But um, yeah, we make awesome boards. And I think the thing that separates us is you kind of hit the nail on the head is that we're able to do super good quality snowboards for literally two, $300 less than, than the uh, other people. And people are starting to realize it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're starting to, re- I mean, it's like, it's hard because I do direct to consumer, right? It's like, they can't touch it. They can't feel it, you know? Right. Um, but now I think word is starting to spread and people are starting to, to believe in the brand um, from, I think, just word, word of mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it something that's been like a slow burn? Like it's, you know, you're, you're kind of year over year, like continuing to see it, it grow little by little. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, honestly, for the first three years, it was more a hobby. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, all right, yeah, like breaking even, you know, selling some boards, but I'm making good quality stuff. You know what I mean? So I was very proud of that. Yeah, you're proud of it. Yeah. And, um, and it was an easy transition. I, when, it, when I used to arrive at, um, for Flow Snowboards, the board technician there, um, we worked hand in hand to make a handful of pro models, you know, throughout, throughout my, um, my career there. Mm-hmm. We did four or five pro models where we fine tuned the board and, and got it exactly how I wanted it to be. The graphics never ended up turning out exactly how I always wanted. I always ended mm-hmm. up being like, you know, oh, I have this idea. This is what I want the board to be like. And by the end of multiple rounds and, and managing how they thought stuff would sell, ended up being just like. Not what you wanted. Yeah. All right. So now you have full creative control. Like how, who is, I, I, I assume, but I don't know. Is it you like, you know, kind of coming up with the vision for what designs on boards look like? Or are you working with an artist or yeah, multiple I'm, artists? How does that work? Yeah, I'm definitely working with, with an artist. And I'm, I have worked with, with multiple artists, but now I'm pretty much doing my boards um, through this guy, Doug Clark. He's awesome. He's made lots of snowboards and skateboards and he knows how to work with the factories and specs and stuff like that and gets, gets it done, you know, easy and quick. So starts with a, um, a very loose idea. I'll just mm-hmm. really scroll the internet and just like at images and stuff and I'll pull images down and be like, that's cool. And then I'll really take a look at like, all right, why do I actually like that? You know, I guess I like the, the watercolors in it or whatever. I like that color. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It'll kind of start to evolve. And then um, I'd be like, you know, this would actually be really cool. And then, you know, eight or 10 rounds later, you know, we, we come up with a board design and, and give the final go. That's great. And like, are you, how many boards are you releasing? Like a couple boards a season, like, you know, and old stuff goes, goes away. Like, is it constantly rotating or how does that, how does that work? It's really tricky, right? So like dealing with a factor, you have, you pretty much have to put it in your order like six months prior. Cause it's mm-hmm. a long, long-term, long-term, like a lot of lead time. It's a big, yeah. It's a big, big lead time. And it's a big investment as well. You know? So it's like, you're to really calculate how much you think you're going to sell. Mm-hmm. You know, I really wish I could be like, all right, boom, we're going to do a quick limited edition, you know, um, could you guys bust out like, you know, 50 boards, you know what I mean? And have them ready for next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's really about a year out. Um, so yeah, we do. I have, we just added a couple more models this year, a couple more wide, wide models, but for the, for the most part, I have three, three models, keep mm-hmm. it very simple. And I'm pretty stoked on, on all three of them. So, um, I don't want to like flood, flood my, my company with a bunch of models and, um, too many, too many choices. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I want to have my, my star studded lineup and then, and just kind of mix up the graphics and, and fine tune them throughout the year. 
So when you started this, like, were you, was it kind of just you on your own or you do, do you have a, a team that you've been working with? Obviously you, you know, you have manufacturers, you have an artist, but like the core, like business team, like, is it just you running the show pretty much? Adam, right here. It's just me, me and my wife. Wow. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I mean, I guess part of my question is like, how do you, how, how did you figure that out? Like, how did you learn? I mean, I assume there were some headaches along the way, but like, how did you kind of like basically teach yourself to operate a, a snowboard business? Like, is it from just being around the industry for so long that you know yeah. what's going on or? That is, that is definitely a big part of it. I mean, you know, throughout my career, you learn a lot about business, you know, on the, on the front lines of business, really, you know what I mean? Because working with pro model, you're seeing how the, all the, all the companies different work. You're seeing how the timelines, you're seeing mm -hmm. how the products, you know, how to, how to market the products, how to, you know, get sell through and stuff like that. And you're really involved in a lot, um, a lot of the process. So I, I learned a lot, you know, throughout, throughout my career, but that was, that was like your business school pretty much. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Uh, so like, what is, I mean, what is the two part question? What, one is the hardest thing that you've had to go through in running your own company. Like what's the biggest thing that you've had to deal with? I'll start there. The biggest like challenge. Um, that's a great question. Uh, honestly, the biggest challenge has, you know, I mean, I, I do all direct to consumer, right. And it's like, I'm really not handy on the computer. So mm -hmm. it's like, that's pretty much my whole business. You know, it's like, all, right. you know what I mean? It's like, so like dealing with the website, you know, and it's like all the technical aspects of, of the online platform and, and stuff like that. That's always pretty difficult. Cause that kind of handcuffs me. It's like, I literally can't do anything. Unless that works. Unless that works. Or if someone, you know, someone can help me mm -hmm. you know, handcuffed until I have the help. Um, but I really would love to, um, you know, bring on a partner or get, get an employee to, to bring my company to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, there's only so much you can do with, you know, just, and there's only so much that I want to do as well to right. keep my freedom. Cause that's that to be honest is my number one priority is, is having my freedom. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have a nine to five and I guess that's essentially why you're having me on this podcast, but I don't have a nine to five and I love it and I can essentially do whatever the hell I want when I wake up. Mm -hmm. Um, and prime example, I'm sorry, we set this, we set this podcast up on a Sunday, but they don't pay attention to the damn weekends. I'm an idiot. I used to call my agent all the time on like Sunday morning. She's in California. She's like, she's like, oh, like you realize God. it's 6am and I'm still sleeping. <laughs> yeah. On a Sunday. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. Um, but the days, the days of the week just don't mean anything to you. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, but, uh, that's, you know, that's one of my main, my main priorities is to keep, keep my keep my freedom and time. Um, it also, it also opens you up to a lot of opportunities, you know, when, mm -hmm. when you, you know, you're not locked down, you're, you're open to opportunities. So. And so what, so that leads nicely into my next follow-up question is like, what is the, what is the five, 10, 20 year vision for like Lago snowboards? But then I guess for your, like, you know, person, you kind of are this like personal brand, you know, athlete, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to like pigeonhole, pigeonhole you into like one title, but like, what is the goal for your, for your company going forward? I think I, I want to evolve. I want to do more than, 
more than just snowboards because there's only kind of, you know, limit you can do with snowboards. But I think it would be awesome to get into just doing small little, like even random stuff. Like Supreme is a great example. Mm -hmm. like what they do and all their random stuff that they make is just awesome. And then they do a great job. So like, I would love to have like a little hint of that. Yeah. Um, and just keep making super good quality stuff and, and, uh, and just to stoke people out, you know, I want to see more boards on the mountain that always, that always puts a smile on my face when I'm on the mountain. I see a Lego snowboard out in the wild. Mm -hmm. I always have a point to go out and be like, Hey, like how you like the board, you know, like, and uh, I always thought that was cool. Like one of my, one of my good friends, Danny Cass, who's um, like one of the best snowboarders. Uh, he started a, a glove company called Grenade Gloves and they were just literally everywhere. And I just thought how cool that would be to like, yeah. you know, have your logo plastered literally on every resort, everyone wearing your gloves, you know, it was just, it was just really cool. And I kind of want a little, little piece of that, you know, keep, keep growing the, growing the brand that way. I love that. And so first of all, congratulations. You had a, you had a kid this past summer. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I got a little, little baby boy. His name's Ryder. Is that, is that, is that name like snowboard inspired? I don't even know. I was just, like, it's obviously spelled R Y D E R, but I just thought that was a cool, cool name. You know, we made it nameless and that was always at the top. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, you know, red rider, BB guns, rider, snowboard, rider. <laughs> I just, uh, I just kind of like that name. And I love it. Yeah. And so how, how is having a kid sort of changed your, your lifestyle? Cause it seems like you were like, go, 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 go for a long, long time. Like how is, how has that sort of changed up? Like how your, your approach to kind of freedom and sort of doing what you, you know, what you, all this traveling that you're doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I haven't really traveled too much lately, obviously because right. I make, but, um, I would be screwed without my wife. I'll tell you that much because she's a rock star and she's, uh, she's the best with, with the baby. You know, I kind of come in and like, I'm like the clown, like make him laugh. You know what I mean? But she does yeah. all the serious work, you know, like putting him down for a nap when he's like crying and tend to him at night and stuff like that. So she's an absolute rock star and, and, uh, I couldn't do it without her, honestly. But, um, it's been great. He's a, he's an awesome, awesome kid. He's, he's happy and healthy and he's, kind of just a, a joy to be around how how early is is too early to put a kid on a snowboard mm, no no <laughs> he's gonna start crawling first and true we'll go from there <laughs> all right well i don't want to take up too much of your time so i just have a couple like couple random random questions to to round it out here but maybe first one like do you ever i i guess like when scotty lago wants to go snowboarding somewhere do you just like call up a mountain and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm coming. Are you buying like a lift ticket? Are you buying a lift ticket? Like a regular, like person you're going to go to the back. Like, how does it work when you want to go somewhere? Well, I assume uh, you've got connections just about everywhere at this point. Yes. Um, for the most part. Yes. If I don't, I'll usually just call marketing and be like, Hey, um, you know, Scotty Lego wanted to see if I can come and, and ride tomorrow. You know, we're probably going to do some shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, either for, um, you know, YouTube or whatever, or I'll, you know, make some social posts and stuff like that. And, and they're all always kind enough to hook up a ticket and, and, um, maybe even sometimes some lodging or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. so all the mountains are really cool and that's usually how it goes. Um, that's how it goes nowadays, but before it was just, 
you know, we're, we're always on a specific trip. Either we're at a contest, you know, and the tickets mm-hmm. come with it or we're at a, you know, photo shoot and your team managers got the tickets or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know. It always just ends up working out. It's usually, usually taken care of. Yep. What's your favorite, favorite East coast mountain and favorite West coast mountain and maybe favorite international if you've got one as well. Um, favorite East coast mountain. I don't know, man. I mean, J J peak on a powder day mm-hmm. end up getting hammered. It's, is awesome. I've had like some of my randomly. I, don't, I haven't been up there that much, but two of like my best powder days on the East Coast. I've been at Jay Peak mm-hmm. um, and Cruising Park and stuff like that. I mean, Mount Snow is awesome. They mm-hmm. do a awesome job. Like they, their whole mountain is pretty much a park. Whole Corinthia yeah. is awesome. Um, West Coast, dude. There's a handful of them. I'm kind of burnt out in Colorado a little bit because I just always. Always end Just up beat it into the ground. Summit County. Um, dude, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna have to say, I don't know, Mammoth. I love Mammoth. Okay. Mammoth in California. I mean, late season where it's sunny and warm, and you got an epic park, and um, you get town right there. It's just cool, cool little spot. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you mentioned, you know, going, you mentioned going out and kind of, you know, you fit, you're always filming, you know, videos and things like that. I know you were, you were kind of going heavy into, into YouTube for a while. What is, you know, do you have, do you kind of have plans for that going forward of, of continuing to make snowboard movies? You know, do you have, are you like, do you have somebody that you always have come out and shoot with you? Like, what does that look like going out and, and shooting snowboard content? Um, so I'm pretty much just kind of stepping away from that. Um, mm. I just, I had the opportunity. I mean, I, I literally still could do it professionally if I wanted to, but I, I really don't, I want a different, I want to, I want to step away from the professional side and kind of all aspects of it. So, mm-hmm. um, but I don't want to shoot myself in the foot cause I literally, I'm pretty random and I can kind of mix stuff up all the time. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, I'm just snowboarding for fun, straight up. If I go to a mountain, then, um, you know, that's my goal this year is just to go ride and have fun, you know, because it's very, very rare that I actually go ride and not have an objective, you know, mm-hmm. either going out getting content or or whatever. Um, I'm just going to go cruising and, uh, and enjoy, enjoy riding and, and cruising with friends. week's episode of destination different Whew. what a way to start off the new year scotty huge thank you huge 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 thank you for coming on the show i mean I, i'm gonna be honest i was a little i was a little star, starstruck in this in this episode i don't know if i don't know if it comes through in the interview but i was it's a little a little a little tight he it's an olympian He's a ex gamer. He's just like, I mean, he just oozes cool. Like, I just want to hang out with him. I just want to go snowboarding with him. He's somebody who hangs around with all the coolest people in the world, I'm sure. And 
I don't know. He just was, he was fantastic. And I was so happy that we got a chance, not only to talk about his you know, snowboarding career, his athletic career, but also his now like move into business and selling snowboards. And I think he's just like at the very tip, tip, tip of the iceberg right now. And this thing is only going to continue to, to grow as they move into outdoor apparel and you know, other snowboarding gear. And like, I could see him going deep into like the hunt, like the hunting world. Like, I think there is so many different things that he could, he could do with his brand and, um, was just super grateful to get the chance to talk to him. As I, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've got some goals for 2021. It's going to be a big year, you know, freshman year of, of a podcast. You're trying to, you're learning along the way. There's some hiccups. There's some things that go wrong. There's some things that, you know, people don't like. Year two, we're we're coming. This thing is getting bigger and better, and I cannot wait to see what this next year brings for Destination Different. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode, for listening to all the episodes. I appreciate you, and I am so excited for what this year has in store. Let's get after it. Let's have a fantastic 2021. It can only go up, baby. It can only go up. And we'll be back again next week, next Wednesday, with another episode of Destination Different. And until then, as I always let you know, stay weird. Just a couple hours I can't tell the difference Between what's fake and what's been missing Often I'm misunderstood So I'm looking for a better me This is your love song, baby I hope that you know the world